This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, we continue our motion series with special guest Dr. Ephraim Smith as he gives a powerful word on living a life inspired, not tired. Let's join Emmanuel's lead pastor, Dr. Nate Roosh, as he introduces our guest. Today, I have the privilege of introducing uh, one of my long-term, long-ago, way-back-in-the-day friends, Pastor Ephraim Smith. And Pastor Ephraim was one of those leaders in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, Park Avenue Methodist, way back in the day as a youth pastor when I was a youth pastor. And he was one that I looked up to because he could communicate to any audience, inspire any group of people. And he became a champion for the city. And he planted Sanctuary Covenant Church in North Minneapolis a number of years ago. And I watched as he poured his entire life into that story. He and his family are they're in it all the way, and now God has led them. They're pastoring in Sacramento, California. Would you give it up for Pastor Ephraim as he comes to the pulpit today? Wow. This is like a dream come true. I used to watch Emmanuel on TV growing up as a kid in the Twin Cities. I'm originally from here, and so though I live in Sacramento, California, I'm still a Minnesota Vikings fan. So, uh, so I'm, I'm just excited uh, to, to be here and to uh, share the word of God with you back in my hometown. God, I pray that this would be your message, that ultimately you would be speaking, and I would just be the vehicle, the vessel that you decided to use to say what you want to say to these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers. God, I desire to be obedient to your word, so please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. When I think of those who have inspired me, who have had great influence in my life, uh, it's hard for me to go further than my father, Forrest Smith. It, It was like when I was a kid, I just wanted to be close to him. I wanted to be connected to him. It's like I wanted to be in his presence. I mean, when he was shaving, I would stand there as a little kid and I would pretend I was shaving too. When he was on the grill, uh, you know, just just working his magic on barbecue, I was standing right there by the grill in his presence, connected to him. I I remember watching football games on Sundays, sitting at his feet as a little boy. Now, if you're young, you're going to have to do some research on this next thing I'm going to say. When he would, would listen to his stereo playing records and eight-track tapes. I know you're going to have to Google this, some of you young people. Um, I I was there snapping my fingers to the soul music with him. And as I think of my life now, when I'm on the barbecue grill, when I'm shaving, it's almost like the life that I'm living is a life out of the overflow of my connection to my daddy. Now, maybe that wasn't your life growing up, and I want you to know if it wasn't, that's okay. I want to introduce you today to a heavenly father that wants to be deeply connected to you. 
I want you to know about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who oversees all of the universe. This big, huge God, this creator wants to have intimate, deep, loving connection with you. God is mindful of you. God wants deep connection with you. God doesn't want a Sunday relationship with you. God doesn't want an Easter relationship with you. God doesn't want a when I'm in trouble and I really need you, God relationship with you primarily. God wants a daily, deep, connected relationship with you in a broken, upside-down world that you might discover more and more your purpose, your mission, why you are here in this earth at this moment to live inspired not tired. Uh, here in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, it's, it's a significant transition point. In the 14th chapter, God, uh, through his son, Christ Jesus, is trying to give a word to the disciples because they're starting to panic. See, see what is happening here is Jesus is messing with the mental box that these disciples had of Jesus. They initially thought that Jesus was coming as this revolutionary leader to weaponize them to take on the Roman Empire, that this, this battle would occur and that they would defeat the Roman Empire and they would no longer be the marginalized and the oppressed. They now would be in power. And at first, it was looking really good. I mean, he was turning water to wine. He was giving sight to the blind. He was giving mobility to the paralyzed. And they're thinking, oh, the reason he's giving sight to the blind and mobility to the paralyzed is so that that'll be more people in the army to weaponize so that we can go against the Roman Empire. I mean, they're getting excited. And then he starts saying, in my father's house, there are many rooms and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. They're thinking, wait a minute, you're leaving? How are you going to leave? I thought you were coming to weaponize us so that we could go to war. And they didn't realize that the real revolution was about the transformation of the soul, about eternal life, and that how this battle would be won is through the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus and out of the overflow of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, one life at a time, one heart at a time, one soul at a time, transformation would take place. There would be a battle. There is victory. And Jesus is trying to give them peace, confidence, and extraordinary faith in a broken, sinful, upside-down world. Let's go back to the text, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. How to be faithfully and fruitfully alive? One, abide. Abide. This is about being grafted to God. This is a remaining rooted life. Life, this is going to sound funny, but life is about being rooted and moving at the same time. It's like by, by being rooted and abiding and remaining in God through Christ Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it gives us the power, it gives us the ability to move in a broken, sinful, divided, upside down world, to be vehicles of transformation and love and grace and new life within it. We are in a deeply diverse yet deeply divided reality. And God desires that you and I would be transformers and reconcilers in that world by being deeply rooted, deeply connected to God. Uh, a graft is when you take a branch or a stem from a tree or a plant, you, you remove it and you connect it to another plant or another tree in such a way. It is so grafted, so deeply connected that when you look at the new tree, the new plant, where this stem, where this branch has been connected, it looks like they were meant to be together all the time. I mean, if you want to be that connected to God, and God hopes that you do, uh, then let's talk about the requirements of a fruitful graft. One, when you're grafting, there has to be a comparable size. So when you're breaking a branch or a stem away from the old tree, from the old source of life to the new source, there has to be a comparable size so that they match up good. The problem is, how are we going to be a comparable size to God? How are you and I, our broken lives, going to match up to this all-loving, all-powerful, full of justice and truth and new life? God, how is that going to happen? Some Christians over the years have thought they could figure out how to be grafted to God and there be a comparable size. They decided how you're going to be grafted to God and let's reduce God to us. Let's make God like us. If we can reduce God to who we are, it'll be a great graft. So let's make God white. No, 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 let's make God black. Let's make God Republican. No, let's make God Democrat. Let's make God American. Let's make God English only. Let's make God just like us so we can graft God into us. Let's reduce God. No, that's not a fruitful graft. That's not a good graft. A good graft is not when we reduce God to us. It's when we let God expand us to God. That's what makes a good graft. 
It's not the more we make God like us, it's the more we allow God to make us like him. That's a good graph. God wants to expand your expectations. God wants to expand your vision, expand your love, expand your forgiveness, expand your grace, expand your heart, expand your compassion, expand your ability to reconcile and love so that you can be a good graph to a great God. There's something else about being grafted, a fruitful graft. There has to be a deep cut. See, when the gardener is cutting the stem or the branch from the old source, uh, the gardener doesn't go to the branch and pet it and, and, and lovingly talk, oh, this is, this is going to be a little painful, but we're going to put some cocoa butter on you, and we're going to try to make this as, as best we can. No, he just goes and cuts it and just takes, you, you have to be willing to have a deep cut away from the old places where you used to get life. The old places that you thought that was going to make you a woman, that was going to make you a man, that was going to make you grown, this was going to fulfill your life. Being grafted to God takes a deep cut away from the old sources where we tried to get life so that we can be connected to the eternal source of life. It also calls a good graft for a pure joining. When the gardener is separating the branch and the stem from the old source to get ready to graft it to the new tree, to the new plant, to the new vine, uh, what has to happen is, is there has to be a cleansing of impurities. You don't, you don't want to contaminate this new tree with the impurities from the old tree. Now this tree is God, so we don't have to worry about bringing impurities unto God. What we have to worry about is the impurities that may still be swirling in our own soul. See, when you become a Christian, you are, you are instantaneously through the coming of the Holy Spirit upon you, you, you are instantaneously made righteous, made holy, but you're also living a life of realizing what you've become. So the Christian life is about being holy and becoming holy at the same time. It's about being righteous and becoming righteous at the same time. It's about, it's about being transformed and being transformed at the same time. That is the Christian life. And so daily we must present ourselves by deep connectedness to a loving God that we might experience God cleansing us of the impurities in our soul, impurities of prejudice, Sustained anger, unforgiveness, pride, arrogance, whatever it is, being cleansed by deep connection. Another part of a graft is a certain binding, which means when the gardener is cutting the branch or the stem from the old plant, the old tree, they're just not going to put this branch on just any old new tree. They're looking for a specific tree a certain vine. What I'm trying to say is uh, sometimes we get tired in life because we cut ourselves off from one dysfunctional relationship and then graft ourselves to another dysfunctional relationship. 
We cut ourselves from an unhealthy environment just to allow our lives to be grafted into another unhealthy environment. And we wonder why we're so tired. No, if you're going to cut yourself off, if you're going to remove yourself from a place that is that has only brought dysfunction and unhealth and addiction and depression and low self-esteem and sustained anger, why would you allow yourself to be grafted into another source of unhealth and dysfunction? You ought to be particular about who you want to be connected to. A certain binding, attaching yourself to the life-giving source. And I hate to break the news, but the Christian life is not just about one cut, and you'll never feel discomfort or, or pain or sorrow ever again. There is the initial deep cut that grafts us to God, but a deep connection to God doesn't take away pain. It doesn't take away moments of stress. What it does is it gives us the connection we need to endure, to stand, to make it through, to survive, to go on, to press forward. Uh, oh man, the, the thing about a fruitful plant, a fruitful tree, a fruitful vine is, is its branches, its stems have to continue to be pruned over time. Maybe that's why you're tired, because you thought you were producing the fruit. You thought you were producing manhood. You thought you were producing womanhood. You thought you were making your marriage work. You thought you were keeping your job. You thought you were managing all the bills. You thought you were bearing the fruit. You no, know, you're bearing it. God's producing it. God's producing it. Let's go back to the text. Verse 10 says this. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. How to be faithfully and fruitfully alive? One, abide. That's about being grafted to God. Two, obey. That's about putting godliness over greatness. Wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to care about greatness? I mean, being great's not bad. No, it's actually not. We just should put godliness first. And the reason we should put godliness first is because God, through deep connection, may need to re-engineer what you think is great. Maybe there was a time in your life where you said, that's a great feeling right there. This is great. I couldn't be in any greater situation than this. How I feel right now is so great. And that what you thought was a great feeling, that which you thought was a great relationship, that which you thought was a great opportunity, brought unhealth, brought addiction, brought brokenness, brought a life turned upside down. Maybe it's out of the overflow of godliness that we understand what real greatness is. Now let me go a little further and define godliness. Because some people see godliness 
is just a list of religious rules and you better keep them or you're in deep spiritual trouble. Godliness goes beyond that. Godliness is actually about devotion. Let me go a little further and define devotion. Devotion ultimately is not a limited period of time that we put aside for a Christian exercise. Ah, no, no, no. So some people believe that they're having devotion while having coffee in the morning before work for 10 minutes. Now that can be a vehicle towards devotion. That can be an avenue to devotion. Devotion, though, as, as, as authentically defined, is about love. Devotion is an ardent, effectual love relationship. Ah, I mean, because if, if devotion was just defined as a limited period of time, could you imagine if I said to my wife, Denisha, you know, I have 10 minutes. Let's have devotion. I'll hold your hand, tell you I love you a few times, and then I got to get on with life. She'd say, you can get on out of here with that devotion. <laughs> devotion is our intimate, loving relationship. It's what grounds us. It's the foundation. It is, it is, it is the thing when we just look at each other and we're not speaking words. That is devotion. Devotion is an intimate love affair with God. And out of the overflow of that, great things can be Born out in your marriage, in your single life, in your manhood, in your womanhood, in your parenting, in your handling of finances, in your career. Fruitfulness out of God's greatness, not mine. Out of a loving, intimate relationship, it is my joy to keep God's commands. It is my joy to surrender to God. It is my joy. That's why he's saying your, your, your joy, to make your joy complete. That, that living a great, fruitful, godly life comes out of the joy that comes out of the intimate, loving relationship with God. Verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. How to be faithfully and fruitfully alive, sisters and brothers. One, abide. That's about being grafted to God. Two, obey. That's about godliness over greatness for a greater greatness. And three, sacrifice. Give yourself to others. This is where the revolution truly is for the followers of Christ. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants or slaves. Slaves don't know about the master's business. I call you friends. Jesus is inviting the disciples then and you and I today into God's business in the world. God has a business and a business plan for this planet. 
God has a business strategy, a kingdom business plan. God has a kingdom plan and strategy for the lost, for the broken, for the marginalized, for the prideful, for the arrogant, for the addicted, for the diseased, for the broken and disinherited. God has a kingdom plan, a kingdom strategy. And, and Jesus is saying, you are not slaves. I want you sitting around the table of the board of directors of this kingdom business. I want to empower you through my shed blood, through my death and resurrection and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I am calling you into the boardroom so you can know my business and go out and live out the strategic plan of God's kingdom in a broken world. But to do that, you have to know what this fruit is really about that God is producing in your life. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a tree eat its own fruit? Like you ever seen a tree and it had its branch out and it just went like this? That's good right there. You know what? That's some good fruit if I say so myself. <laughs> Trees don't eat the fruit. They bear it for the blessings of other people. Trees bear fruit for our blessing. They don't eat their own fruit because they realize it's not theirs. When people think the fruit that they're bearing, they produced, and it's theirs, they will hoard the fruit like it's all theirs. It is not your fruit. Why are you hoarding all the fruit like it's yours? The fruit you are bearing is someone else's blessing. The financial fruit, the fruit of time, the fruit of talent, the fruit that your marriage is bearing is for another marriage. The fruit your manhood is bearing is for another man. The fruit your womanhood is bearing is for another woman. The fruit your family is bearing is for somebody else. You don't even realize it, but you are bearing right now generational fruit. And if you see it for what it is, you can pass it down to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. You can pass it to your neighbors and your co-workers. You can pass it to your enemies if you know what it is. It's fruit that you didn't produce, but you're bearing for somebody else. This is why you need to be in a small group. I'm going to give you a little commercial, Pastor Nate. This, this is why you need to take the next step. This is why you need to get in communities, because when you're in community with other people in small groups, then you realize that, that you share the fruit. In the very first church, it said they brought their resources together, and then they gave out the resources as people had need. You have resource bearing from your life. You need to be in relationship with other people, so when they need fruit, you are bearing it. When you need fruit, they're bearing it, and then nobody gets a famine. Nobody goes hungry. Nobody's lonely. Nobody's isolated. Nobody's by themselves because we're bearing fruit and sharing fruit together. That's the church. That's the church. What you are bearing is for somebody else. And you know, Jesus concludes the chapter by showing the disciples that there's going to be opposition. But even though there's going to be opposition, he says, but you're chosen. You're chosen. 
You are chosen. Some of us are angry right now because we're still waiting for our fair shot. I gotta tell you this as I conclude. The Christian life is not fair, but it sure is fruitful. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out emmanuelcc.org. Be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.